The construction industry can be a tough business to crack. From cash flow problems, struggling to find skilled labour, and not making enough money for your efforts leaves many business owners feeling frustrated and burnt out. But when you get the business strategy right, it's an industry that can be highly satisfying and financially rewarding. I'm here to give you the resources to be able to create a construction business that gives you more time, more freedom, and more money. This is the Develop Your Construction Business Podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Wilkes. So I hope you enjoyed last week's podcast with Tim Charles. Uh, we only covered a few of those seven tips, so we're just going to restart the podcast where we left off, and uh, let's continue with the seven tips to grow a profitable construction business. So uh, what's, what's uh, number four, Tim? We've done three out of seven. What's, what's the next yeah, one? Yeah, number four, we're looking at increasing customer retention so that you get more frequency from the same customer and you just mentioned that no like and trust so if someone has given you a job to do and you've fulfilled that job done a good job for them they know like and trust you and they say it's seven times easier to sell to an existing customer than it is to find a brand new customer so for example i've had a loft conversion done but um you know i on my driveway is not being um, paved yet and i don't have a porch so that if, if, if my builder had come to me and says, would you like me to give you a quote while we're here for doing a, a front porch for you or for doing a side extension if I didn't have one or, or things like that, then as we say, seven times easier to make that sell. And you again also get to work with a customer that you're, you like working with. Yeah, that's absolutely key, isn't it? So, so this, is, um, this is easier for some industries than others. Now, some of these, it's um, just a no-brainer. So for example, if you, if you were a plumber and you've gone and installed a boiler for someone then um what tip what would you what would you say what would be the best tip for a plumber who's installed a boiler for someone as a one-off job how are they going to increase that sales transaction frequency do you know one of the best things they could do is there and then book in a service of that of that of that um, and boiler and say look if we yeah. uh, clean the magna magna flow if we um do a service on this it'll run so much more efficiently efficiently and just yeah. book it in there and then exactly yeah that's that's absolutely key and uh, i've had plumbers before do stuff on some of my personal homes and um, all of a sudden i get an automated email a year later saying oh just to remind you your uh, your boiler needs servicing again now um, and it's great you know I, I wouldn't have remembered and i'm naturally going to give them the job again because they they've they done it last year so they've increased that that sales transaction frequency and that spans across all industries you can do it for electrics um, if you're working for landlords, things like that, these these reminders. Again, we could we could use a CRM system to do this, or you know, just put a note in a in a calendar, just to re remember to to chase people up again, and and that's you know, it's going to be much easier then to to sell to those people. Can be helpful if you've built up a relationship with your customer. There's a quote I saw. It says, "Find out what they want, go get it, and give it to them." So if you've built up a relationship with the customer and, and, and the conversation is flowing, then you can start to find out the things they want and then mm -hmm. provide a service for them to, to give it to them. So even if you have done the, the 100K extension, there's bound to be other things that they would like to do to their house or they may have other properties or they may have um, family that need um, work done as well. So trying to build up that, that opportunity to sell more to the same customer. Yeah, and it might just not be the right time for them. Obviously, they've, they've spent all the money with you on that extension, um, but they might be doing the driveway a year down the line. So I'd always encourage you know you to have um, we call it long term nurture sequences on on emails. So um, 
I can't remember if we touched on this on the, the last podcast with Ernie, but um, you can um, you can set up a campaign where you just send an automated email every month, say, or seasonally that goes out to your customers. And, you know, it's going to be really quick to, to type in 12 emails uh, that's going to last you a whole year's worth of content. But what happens is you drop into your customer's inbox just at the time when they're thinking about having it done. So it might not be now they want the driveway done. It might be in a year, but all of a sudden you drop into their inbox, start talking about some of your services and, you know, a light bulb goes off in their head and they think, oh yeah, I need to contact Greg or Tim to, to get that job done. So that can be really useful. Some other things I encourage people to do as well, if you, if you want to stay in your customers' minds, is um, thinking about doing a newsletter. That's not too difficult to do. Um, you could drop a newsletter out every quarter and, um, Again, just to stay at the forefront of your customers' minds, let them know what you're up to, what projects you're working on, um, new staff that you've hired, that sort of thing, any new reviews that you've got. Um, and what that does, it's just, again, you're just dropping in their inbox at a time when they may be thinking about um, having an additional service done or they've, had, they've just been out to coffee with their friends and they're asking for a builder and they think, oh yeah, I forgot he did, you know, I can recommend him. So a couple of things to think about there. Ask your customers to follow you on the socials and if you can regularly put pictures up on there. So they might, everyone's got, most people got Instagram, so and they might not be following you. So ask them to follow you so mm. that, that you, they regularly see the, the latest jobs that you're working on. If you just put pictures on all the jobs you're working on, then that, that keeps everyone in, in you and everyone's mind. That's a good point. Yeah, I haven't talked about that one. That's, that's really good. Okay, so um, that's point number four. So number five out of seven is increasing that sales transaction value. So this is really key because what we want our customers to do is obviously spend more money with us if, if we can get that out of them. Because it's, as we said, it's easier to sell to them once we've had them once, but we want to increase that transaction value. So there's different ways of doing that. We're not talking about just increasing your prices because obviously you need to stay competitive. But what about doing upsells and adding more value to the job? Can you think about how you might need to do upsells? So... Can you give customers a range of options? Oftentimes you see it where a quote goes over to a customer for, say, um, an extension, and it's just a quote. That's it. They've got the option of, you know, £50,000 for your extension, and that's it. But what about up upgrades to that extension? You know, what about upgrading the flat roof from a felt flat roof to a, a GRP flat roof that's going to have a 20-year guarantee? Um, or upgrading the boiler to, you know, you, you're going to put this combi in, we're going to put this super duper combi in that's going to do this or that. So um, there's loads and loads of opportunity to think about upsells, but people often hold back on that, on, the, on their quotes for some reason. But we know it, it's a tactic that works, isn't it, Tim? It's, you know, I think we, all, we do it all the time. I know when I'm on a website and I'm about to buy something, you always see that upsell and you think, actually, yeah, let me <laughs> just, just pay a few hundred quid more and get that one. I mean, I think McDonald's nailed it, didn't they? Was everything you buy, do you want fries with that? Yeah. You know, so, um, and it's not um, like we're just trying to get more money out of our customers. Like in the example of the flat roof, if um, I know my, my builder, he, he did a felt flat roof to me, but if he had given me the option and say, look, it's an extra free grand, you can get a GRP roof, but it's got this extra benefits, I'd, be, I'd, I'd want that. So you, it's not just a question of extracting more money from the car. It's actually providing an enhanced service so yeah. everyone everyone wins. That's a good point. So don't presume your customer knows all the options. Um, they might not. And don't don't take your customers at their at first glance when they say, I've only got this much of a budget. 
Um, it might be the case, but sometimes when people really want something, all of a sudden they manage to find that extra, <laughs> that extra bit of money to have a little upgrade. So um, give them the choice. That's what the, the point we're trying to put across here is at least put it in there as an option and you'll notice your uh, transaction values increasing. Okay, so um, that's step number five. So Tim, what's, uh, what's step number six? Yeah, looking at number six is um, something I said right at the beginning about um, how important um, your gross profit is, how important your margins are. And of course, you've got your sales figure at the top and then minus from sales is your direct cost. So your cost of sales, which essentially for the construction business is how much is it costing you to buy your materials and how much are you spending on labor, your subcontractors to, to, to do that job. And um, they, they say there's five margin killers and I've got these margin killers here. So it's having the wrong costs, the wrong systems, the wrong products, the wrong customers or the wrong price. So if we looked at a couple of those on this heading there, having the wrong costs and the wrong, wrong products. Now, some of the easy ways to say reduce the cost of your materials, you could say, well, just to shop around. And again, someone would say, I don't have time to shop around for materials. Mm -hmm. But again, think of those three words, who not how so again you can use a um if you don't have an assistant working for you or someone that has the capacity to do that you can use a virtual assistant like the money penny service and they could do the shopping around for you you just say right these are all the things that i all the materials i need for this job um can you what was the best price you can find for all these materials and they will do that for you and for the for the amount of money that you would need to pay the va they, they would make that back for you in the savings. And it's like we said before, the savings might be small, but if they all, all add up if you, if across the whole job and across numerous jobs. So shopping around for materials, it sounds like an easy thing to do. And most builders, as far as I know, they tend to have their favorite builder merchants that they always go to, which can which not necessarily a bad thing because if you can use your bookkeeping software and say, wow, look at, um, that I spent 100,000 with that timber merchant. Let me go back to them and say, look, I spent 100,000 exclusively with you. What can we do? Can we get a better deal on this? But um, not to just continue going to the same old supplier, paying the same old price, either negotiate harder with your supplier or you know, open it up and look for other suppliers. Yeah, this is such an important point because um, you know, just putting this in real terms, you know, if you're listening to this, you're a million pound a year company it's very likely you're probably spending about £400,000 on materials. It's about 40% on, on average. Um, so just think about that, £400,000 on materials. If you can just negotiate a 10% saving across the board on your materials, which isn't a lot, it's, it's, it's really not a lot. You know, you think you're ordering something for a grand and you get 100 quid off. That's that's quite common. You can, you can often do that and maybe a lot more. But that 10% saving, you've got 40 grand there potentially that you've saved and what's it going to cost you in it for a year to have a va just phone around you know a part-time va getting materials for you 10 grand 15 grand so there's some Greg, real... Greg, i think i think a lot less than that because yeah. you, you might just need someone a few hours maybe a few hours a week mm -hmm. um they're normally around the 25 pound an hour sort of region so it might be you just need to pay someone to do four hours a week for you 100 pounds and they can save big money for you. And not only would they be paying for the, um, to shop around to get the better price and materials, but the same person can also be doing those outbound calls for you, as we mentioned earlier on about following up on leads. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it right. doesn't have to be a lot of money at all. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. What, what, is there any other ways, Tim, that people could uh, think about reducing those costs? So we talked about materials. Yeah, I guess on the other side of that of that coin, you've got how much it, you're paying your labourers. 
and I know when I've had jobs jobs done jobs done here at my house you often see the laborer sort of disappear around 10 o'clock they go for a breakfast or they say oh, I'm just going down Selco and they disappear down Selco for a couple of hours so it's um if, if I, I I'm not saying it's easy but um, I know that some builders manage to switch from rather paying a 200 pound a day rate for a carpenter you, you say look you've got to hang these five doors and give me a job price for doing that and then working mm -hmm. on a job price so that you can um, put the pressure on on the subcontractor themselves that if they're wasting time actually they're wasting their own time yeah. Um, on the other side of that, you need to be very careful about quality control because there's no point just knocking up five doors that are hung that are not hung very well. But um, moving away from that, paying that day rate, which which has been very traditional in the building industry, to moving on to the job rate, I, I, I appreciate that's easier said than done. Well, it, it is and it isn't, to be honest, Tim. Yeah, so, uh, for example, I, you know, I've obviously had a construction company and I've, I've done both. When I first started out, I had a real problem with giving people uh, jobs on price because I thought, well, they're just going to inflate the price. Obviously, it's always, always going to cost me more on price. So there was this mindset. And for years, I was in this mindset of don't, you know, don't give things out on price, just get people on day rate and just, you know, drive them to do it as quickly as possible. But when I made the switch um, and eventually I realized that wasn't working and it wasn't profitable for me to do that. And, you know, I had a lot of guys on day rate at one point, I can't remember it was 30 or 40 potentially on day rate. And we switched to price profits immediately transformed, but then you've got the other problems that Tim mentioned, you've got to have quality control and you've got to be able to control those subcontractors. So they each bring their own problems. But if we're talking about purely from a profitable standpoint, I would just say to people, really consider giving your jobs out on price because it, there's a lot less stress for you as a business owner because you're not constantly having to drive and go, oh, what have you done today? Um, uh, but And you can you can fix in your margins. You know, Before you start that job, you've got a price guaranteed and you can almost you know, predict what profit margins you're going to get if you can give those packages out on price before you start. So something to seriously consider there uh, if you're not making the profits you want at the moment. All right. Um, so that's uh, that's a, there's, there's a few things we can do there with subcontractors and um, other things. What, what um, just trying to think of some of the, the other things that we we could talk about here on this on um, you know finding decent people for a, for a decent rate. Any other tips on? Because it's always a challenge to try and find a good tradesman um, at a reasonable rate. Any any suggestions around that, Tim? I think um, I remember we were talking about this before, and um, if you think of, I mean, I know your dad. And a lot of they're almost like master builders, aren't they? They can they can do a, a lot of different skills. I mean, I've had your dad do work in my house and there's pr practically nothing he can't do. Mm. And they're in that sort of age bracket of the, the, the 60s sort of age bracket. And um, there's a lot to be gained from asking these sort of older tradesmen to, to be on site. They can be a good guide for the younger guys on site as well. And they've got so much experience and so much knowledge. And of course, they they tend to be more sort of settled, rounded people at that sort of age. So you can get some good quality work if you're looking at the age, older age bracket. Trade yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good point. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's good to, to have in mind, too. And um, one of the things that often comes up um, talking about the cost of decent people is when when businesses are expanding, they need to think about getting contracts managers on boards or project managers. And that can be a really big expense for, for many companies thinking, you know, how, do, how am I going to afford a project manager's wage? Because, you know, in London, you could potentially be looking at 50 grand or, you know, or so for, for a, a decent project manager, maybe more than that. 
So um, one of the tips I give, I've, I've done some videos on this before uh, about this, but think about who you've got on your staff at the moment and can they be upskilled? Now, it doesn't mean you can do that with everyone. You, you might have a, a carpenter there that you're looking at. You think he's an absolutely great carpenter, you know, one of my best workers. It doesn't mean that he's got the ability to be a project manager by any means, because some people just can't, they haven't got that skills transfer. But oftentimes people can be upskilled and they just need a little bit more responsibility, a little bit more training. And you can often upskill some of your workers that you've currently got. Um, and they would jump at the opportunity of potentially being a site foreman or, or a project manager, and you'd get them at a cheaper rate. And, and, and it also breeds brand, uh, loyalty to your business when other staff see that and think, actually, there's, there's potentially movement in this business for me um, to progress my career. So that could be another way of potentially uh, saving yourself a bit of money by training and upskilling those in your workforce to step up to leadership roles later on. So that's point number six. So uh, the last one we were going to discuss was reducing overheads. The, the seventh tip, reducing your overheads. Now, as you're expanding, it's really easy. And we see this all the time. It's so easy for your overheads to creep up. Uh, what happens is your turnover starts going through the roof and it just feels like you've got a lot more disposable income there each month. So naturally, you uh, think, oh, I'm going to get that go and get that office now and uh, <coughs> I'll go and buy myself that new truck and whatever it is and your overheads before you know it, um, <coughs> excuse me, can become quite high. So um, what can be really frustrating for, for many is that they expand their business, their turnovers going up, they're really busy. And then as Tim mentioned earlier, you look at that bottom line and it's not where it should be. And you think, I don't get it. I'm delivering my projects on time. You know, my guys, are, you know, I can't pay my guys any less, but, you know, I've got a really great gross profit margin, but I'm not making any money. And oftentimes that's because overheads are just too high. You've got too much going on in the overhead. So we want to we want to operate that business as lean as possible. Um, and if we can create a bit of a cash buffer in the business because we're generating so much in profit. Um, what, what are the sort of mistakes people make, Tim, with um, with overheads? How, how does this? How does it? How does it gradually creep up? What sort of things do they do they do wrong? Yeah, so just I don't want to teach anyone anything basic here, but just to quickly explain. So we've got sales at the top, then you've got your direct costs, and that gives you a gross profit. Then you have your overheads, which give you a net profit. So we've looked, we've been looking at sales, haven't we? And we've been looking at direct costs. So let's say we've nailed all that in the first six steps. And as you say, you've got good gross profit and then it all disappears in your overheads. Mm. So um, one of the key things to do, and um, hopefully you're, you're working closely with your accountant, is to review your profit and loss account on a regular basis. Because in the profit and loss account, you do have a breakdown of all your overheads. So what your telephone costs are, what your motor expenses are, all these overheads. And if you review them regularly, then you've got an, an opportunity to say, wow, this is really high. Is there anything we can do about that? So um, if, um, if you're a construction business and you have an office, I can recommend there's a, a good app. It's called um, Reducer. So just as it is, Reducer app. And they, that plugs into your software, say you're using Xero or QuickBooks or something like that. And it analyzes all your costs. So it could be, I mean, I know um, gas and electric have shot up recently, but analyzes all your different uh, costs and um, looks at also your um, uh, different expenses and makes suggestions on where you can make savings. But just regularly reviewing your overheads, I think is a very important step because mm -hmm. sometimes you can have taken out a subscription to some 
um, say you took out a subscription to some software and you wasn't using it anymore and you were using something else. And sometimes these softwares, they can all add up the different subscriptions you take out and some of them you're not even using anymore. So just regularly reviewing, I think, is one at least vital step. Yeah, it's really important because it, it does creep up. You know, all of a sudden, like we said, you get an office, you get admin employees, like we talked about getting VAs earlier, but you can become a bit top heavy with, with virtual assistants or admin employees. Or you may go and get yourself a, a lockup or storage unit. Or I see this all the time, actually. Uh, builders get in workshops because they want to do some joinery work in a workshop and they pay out for all this machinery and um, a big workshop. And it's costing a fortune, this workshop. And you think, is that actually delivering you? You know, you're not in there all the time. So is it really delivering you value for money? So got to be really careful, haven't we, of, of, um, of, of, of analysing this. And yeah, really another on. thing I've seen is... Um... Um, you know, like if you if you need to get those storage units and you've got these storage units, sometimes I can add up to quite a lot of money every month, these storage units. And if you look at how much you paid for that storage unit over a year and then look what's actually in that storage unit. I mean, yeah. it's often the case that there's quite a lot of rubbish in there and the amount you're paying is actually worth more than the stuff you're storing. It's true. Yeah. So you're just paying to store rubbish. That's it. That is, that is so true. And I've certainly been guilty of that with uh, some of my lockups in the past. So yeah, that's a, that's a really useful point. So that's really good to think about. And as Tim said, the key to this really, if you can have a regular meeting with your accountant, um, you know, maybe at the end of every month, he sends you that profit and loss report or sends you a bit of a, um, a management report on, on how things are going. And he can just highlight those key figures that, that Tim mentioned. And um, that's going to be really useful for you just to get your eyes open and see, you know, what is going on? What's, what's the nuts and bolts of my business and, and how is it working? There's, um, there's a saying that you, you always use, Tim. I'm just going to see if you remember it um, about how we can monitor our numbers. And I, I nick this saying off you now because uh, you, you always use it. What, what's, what's that saying? So what, 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 gets, what gets measured gets managed. Yeah. So it's a saying the principle of, if that the best way to lose weight is to basically count your calories because if you have no idea how many calories you're consuming it's it's impossible to manage that and it's the same with your business and so many business owners they have a really good handle on, on their top line they know how much their sales are i think most business owners know how much their sales are but if you start asking them well what's your gross profit margin how much are you spending on x how much are you spending on y a lot of guys don't have much of a clue and if you're just looking at a set of accounts that are prepared annually by your accountant well by the time they're prepared, they can be like 18 months out of date. And mm -hmm. that's only useful for the taxman to know how much tax you pay. To actually be making decisions based on accounts, you really need to start looking at monthly and quarterly accounts. Hopefully you're on zero or QuickBooks and that, that, that information is there and, and, and review it regularly with your accountant because I, I love that expression. Yeah, what gets measured gets managed. And, yeah. and unless you are regularly measuring it, it's impossible to manage it. Yeah. And not just measuring it. I mean, often, you know, people say well, you're looking at the PL, you're looking in your rear view mirror all the time, which is important. It's important to look back and learn those lessons and see trends. But it's really important to forecast and think about what is the next year going to look like? If, if you want to double your business, if you're at 500k and you want to get to a million, get that down on a spreadsheet. And what does that look like? What will your overheads look like? Who are you going to need to bring on at different points to cope with that increase in sales revenue um, and then you're not just looking behind then you're looking forward at uh, potentially what's going to what's going to come up and uh, hopefully they'll bite you then and you've because got enough to, to cope with it having those targets it's like like playing a game of football but not actually having any goals to score in and and if you're not if you're not measuring your performance it's like not keeping score so 
everyone's having a fun kick about, but no one knows who won. No one knows how many goals were scored. And, 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 you know, it's not really a proper game of football. So I think you need to have targets, which are your goals, and you need to have keep score of how you're performing. Yeah, that's really, really important. Thanks for that, Tim. So uh, we, we started this um, podcast off talking about marginal gains and those 1% improvements. There's, a, there's another guy, if, uh, if you're listening to this, a guy called Alan Milks, his name is. Um, so if you Google him, he's got a book that's called, uh, or I don't know if he's got a book, but he's got a process that went on one of his training workshops. It's called The Power of One. And it's a really valuable um, lesson, but it's, it's the same as the marginal gains. But he says how a 1% change, the power of one, that 1% change in one of these areas will have a significant impact on your business. And he talks about managing levers and pulling that, that power of one and seeing it change. And I remember he did it at a workshop I went to. I mean, we were dealing with, as, as a company, with bigger numbers. Um, but just that 1% change, he just, he just you know, move the lever. We saw the change. And all of a sudden, you look at the bottom line and think, oh, wow, that's, that's really significant, actually. And if you can do that with a few levers, that power of 1% across a few areas of business, like we've said today, so we've talked about seven things here. If you can do 1% across those seven areas, that's a, a, is that a 7% improvement? <laughs> is it? I don't know. I'm not going to get, go down that route. Tonight. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's going to make a big, big, big difference in your business. And uh, ultimately, you're listening to this because you want to grow your business successfully and, and transform your profits and, and be successful. So uh, I hope that helps um, and is uh, useful for you. And Tim, I just want to thank you so much for being generous with your time today and providing so much value for the listeners. Thanks for having me. It was great to be on. Yeah, nice one. So thanks, everyone. And uh, all the best. See you in the next podcast. If you'd like to work with me to fast track your construction business growth, then reach out on www.developcoaching.com dot co dot uk